You are listening to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, where we help entrepreneurs succeed. Sarah, Sarah, uh, may I ask you to introduce yourself and the body of work that you've done so far? I'm sure. My name is Sarah Cooper. Um, I'm a writer and comedian and creator of an entertainment website called thecooperreview.com. And um, it's basically a satirical look at life and um, lots of it focuses on corporate life and just the zaniness of the corporate world. So, so maybe we can also start a little bit about uh, where your journey started from. You know, uh, how did you end up uh, creating a satirical website about corporate humor? Well, I had always been interested in um, performance and comedy and writing um, for a long time um, before I uh, started working at Google about five years ago. Um, I was pursuing uh, stand-up comedy and acting um, and also uh, working on um, sort of online writing. Um, uh, As many people who have tried to go that route know, it's not always easy to make money that way. So what ended up happening was I ended up at um, Google just because I really wasn't able to support myself um, just being a writer or a stand-up comedian. Um, So after uh, three and a half years at Google, I uh, just began to notice that, you know, because I spent a lot of time in that in the corporate environment, um, that's what I started to write about. And um, that's one of the things that's really important as someone who is creative is to be honest about the situation that you're currently in, because that will read, you know, more uh, honest when people actually try to consume whatever you write. Um, so that's what I was doing is sort of writing about my day-to-day life. Um, and my day-to-day life consisted of a lot of meetings because I was um, a manager of a team of about 12 people. And so I was in a lot of meetings. Um, and funny enough, I had jotted down these ideas of things that people did to look smart Um, in meetings, uh, just as a joke, probably eight or nine years ago, I had started this little list. Um, I refound it again uh, about three years ago and decided to finish it and put it online. And um, I didn't have a website at the time. The Cooper Review didn't exist at the time. But I put it up on medium.com, which was a a pretty new place for people to start writing. Um, But I figured I'd give it a shot. And so it was the only the second thing that I had ever posted on Medium, and it immediately um, this this article that I wrote called Ten Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings" went viral, um, and I think it had a lot to do with the fact that it was just observational. It was just very much about the things that I actually saw people doing in meetings um, that really made them sort of look like they knew what they were talking about, even if they didn't. Um, and so it was sort of a twist on the idea of. Uh, what should you do in meetings? It was really more of a satirical look of what you should do in meetings because really these aren't things that you should do in meetings. These are just things that people actually do in meetings. Um, And so 
when that article went viral, I decided that maybe there was something there and maybe there was some, uh, you know, a sort of an untapped thing that I could talk about uh, when it comes to corporate life. And so that's why I started the CooperReview.com. And I actually started it while I was still at Google. And it was growing pretty steadily when I decided that really I was very passionate about comedy again and writing about this. And I, I knew that I had an audience and I wanted to try making money at it again. So uh, about a year and a half ago, that's when I, I left Google to pursue this full time. So, so tell me something. I mean, how does someone who is doing stand-up comedy uh, and writing end up uh, as a manager in Google? Um, That's a good question. I um, went to uh, graduate school for interactive design and uh, I went to Georgia Tech, uh, uh, the information design and technology program there. Um, And uh, as you know, as probably a lot of people know, who you know is very important. Um, So when I was in New York and sort of struggling with the stand-up comedy thing, I uh, got in contact with an old friend of mine from Georgia Tech who was currently working at Google, and she recommended me for that position. Um, and you know, yeah, I'll say that I, you know, didn't just start working at Google out of nowhere. I had worked previously at an agency for several years. I worked at Yahoo for a few years as well. Um, so I kind of had this ping pong career of going back and forth between the corporate world and doing creative things, and then going back to the corporate world and going back to doing creative things. So. Google was kind of my last stint in the in the corporate world. Interesting. So while uh, it is pretty obvious as to you know what uh, impact uh, working in the corporate life has had on your creative uh, uh, stint, uh, what impact do you think has your creative stint had on your corporate life? Well, I always tried to make things more interesting um, when I was working at Google. I I always sensed that I didn't want any meeting that I was in or had to lead to be uh, boring. So I would always try to come up with interesting ways to keep people um, engaged. Uh, and I kind of make fun of this uh, now, but looking back, it was it was sort of my attempt to to be creative and have people really connect with each other in meetings because I, I just noticed a lot of times people would come in buried in their laptops or buried in their phones and not really listening. And it just felt very much like, what's the point of this if no one's really listening to each other? So I would try to come up with um, ways for people to really listen, such as at the end of the meeting, I would ask one person to summarize the meeting and no one would know who I would ask. It would just be sort of like a pop quiz (laughs) type thing. Um, Other ways, I would just try to get people to sort of go around and just talk about something that they did the the past weekend or something like that, just so that we could kind of start off on a, like, where are you coming from sort of foot instead of jumping right into, okay, what's the status of this project? Um, I also tried just having people sort of stand up and, or sit, or sit on, you know, sit on the floor or, you know, just do different things. Because I think that the thing that I noticed the most was that it just gets, it just gets so repetitive, um, weekly meetings, you know, bi-weekly meetings, everything just gets so predictable that it, it, you know, once your brain starts to tell yourself that you know exactly what to expect, it just kind of shuts off. And so I would just try to change things up as much as I possibly could um, to, to keep things interesting and to keep people engaged. Interesting. So you have this very, um, uh, I think, 
okay let first things first i found you out when i was actually uh, reading uh, uh, a blog post and then the blog post kind of linked to you linked to another blog post which kind of linked to your uh, post about 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings and i immediately fell in love with the kind of uh, things that you write in there uh, a lot of things i'm sure uh, i i must agree that i have uh, done some of those myself not <laughs> not uh, uh, intentionally but of course it it does happen so uh, your uh, tagline also is very apt in that way you say it's funny because it's true mm-hmm. and a lot of things that you mentioned in that post uh, are things that you always invariably out of the 10 things that you mentioned you see at least three or four in every meeting that you sit into and that's what i found so uh, interesting about that post of yours so out of those 10 things that you you written of course i will link to the blog post what is the one or two thing that you think were the most interesting for you um the most interesting uh for me was um uh, pacing around the room mm-hmm. um this is just something that i actually saw i think a, a vice president or director do um during a meeting and i just remember thinking that it made him look like he was really considering all of the things that were being said in the meeting, even though maybe he just needed to stretch his legs or something. But it just had an air of confidence to kind of get up from the table and just walk around um, during during the meeting. So uh, I've never actually tried that yet, but it was something that I was hoping to try. Um, and uh, I, I, I love the changing uh, percentages into fractions or fractions into percentages. I just think that that is such a brilliant thing. And I, I've also never actually been able to do that. But I just remember, I, I still remember to this day, the moment that somebody, you know, somebody said 25% of people did something on a website and someone said, oh, that's one in four people. And and, and just thinking, oh, wow, you know, like mm-hmm. that makes that person look like they were really clarifying this for everybody and and how you know great their math skills are or whatever um so those are the, those are the two things that i that i i like i've never been able to try them but i i i remember specifically when someone did them and and how uh sort of impressed i was i never let on how impressed i was but <laughs> i obviously it made an impact on me because i put it in in the article <laughs> i know so one of the things that i am guilty of doing uh, a lot of times is uh, pacing around because i okay. find it uh, I find it extremely difficult to sit in a place for a long period of time because of uh, yeah. back issues. So I yeah. prefer standing up and walking around. And mm-hmm. when I when I was reading this post, that's what came across to me that you know, okay, so maybe people think that I am doing that just to <laughs> <laughs> just to look cool. But uh, uh, I I really had a or I re- I still have a bad back, so I prefer walking <laughs> around in the room. And I was like, okay, so maybe I should try and sit down sometimes oh, <laughs> despite <funny>. the pain. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that uh, came to mind uh, uh, when I read this article was uh, the one thing that I think probably I have done uh, most and the most number of people have done. I'm sure it might have been uh, in your list as well as to tell people that, you know, okay, so we'll join in a little late. Uh, because um, uh, I'm trying to finish up something or I'm trying to finish an urgent phone call or whatever. Uh, it happens almost every other meeting. Oh, then, really? Yeah. And <laughs> it happened before we started this conversation as well. Uh, and actually, I was trying to finish up something. That's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> sure you were. I believe you. 
yeah so the uh, the art of comedy uh, is extremely difficult uh, i think because of the simple fact that uh, you need to observe things that are happening around you and uh, that's not something which a lot of people are able to do because we are always thinking something we are not present in the place that we are we are always mm-hmm. somewhere else right mm-hmm. so yeah. so is this ability to see things uh, something that uh, you have cultivated over a period of time or is this something that you think uh, you were gifted with uh, or is this something that you think people can learn so that's my primary question yeah i i um i do think it's something that people can learn i think that there are definitely some people who are much better at it and much um uh more prone to it on a daily you know minutely basis um uh my my husband for example is just always when he's when he's watching television or reading something he always is able to make some interesting observation about it it takes me it, it, it sometimes it comes to me like automatically but a lot of times i do have to work at it which is why i do think it's something that can be learned it just takes a lot of practice um so for for example this 10 tricks to appear smart meetings that came very naturally to me over several years um but other things i really do have to work at and i have to keep a a running notebook of things that i observe from from time to time um and a lot of those things are are not that great they're the, the observations will will never go anywhere but you don't know what observations are are good or bad at the time so it's really just about you know not judging um and just writing down everything that sort of seems interesting to you or or funny or ironic to you and just making a note of it and then looking over it again and seeing if there's anything there that that can be um can can be created from that um i just think it takes it does take a lot of practice i also noticed that i um when i was working um a lot of times if i was just bored with what i was doing I think it was easier for me to kind of step outside myself and kind of take a, you know, th- uh, like an eagle's eye view of what people were doing if I wasn't really that interested in the subject anyway. But if you're really really interested in the subject and you're in a meeting and you're very interested in what's being talked about, it's it's not that easy to step outside and make observations about what's going on because you're really interested in, and consumed by that actual subject. Um, but if you're doing something like you're doing laundry or something that's sort of like, you know, mindless, you, it might be a lot easier to start making those observations because it's something that's sort of, you're not fully engaged. Your, your intellectual, um, brain isn't as engaged. It's sort of in the background. Um, but I, I do think that it is something that can, you know, you can practice. Um, it just, it just takes a little bit of discipline. Um, and it feels uncomfortable sometimes to actually be like observing things as they're happening. Um, so it, it's, it, cause it, you, you say people aren't, aren't present. Um, and it's, it's kind of weird because you have to be present but you also have to like be observing that presence in a way to to make those observations um so when people are speaking you're listening to what they're saying but you're listening to how they're saying it and you're listening to other things that might be going on while they're saying it um so it, it's kind of a, a weird mental leap that you have to take sometimes and i think it comes more naturally after you try to do it and after you practice doing it interesting so so the reason why i brought this up uh is twofold one uh is that um, entrepreneurs and uh, startup founders who are primarily the listeners of the show also need to be able to 
observe and stay and uh, stay in the moment observe what is happening around them that becomes a very very important aspect for them to realize where they are going and what what's happening around them uh, there are times when it becomes a matter of uh, uh, survival for a lot of these entrepreneurs and still it's so difficult for 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 people to kind of step back and look at what's really happening and not get consumed by what's happening in our heads so you said it can be learned by practice right so uh, if you were to you know start fresh and i if, for example if i want to start learning uh, or start putting in a practice uh, for this what advice would you give me um i would give you the advice of um getting a notebook or having some place where you can quickly um, jot things down. I, I don't have a notebook. I actually just have Google Docs. Um, and I just have a Google Doc of uh, that's now <laughs> several page, pages long that I just, whenever something interesting occurs to me, um, I'll, just, I'll just put it in there. Um, so that's, that's the thing that I would start doing immediately. And it, the judgment p- part of that is very important. It's very important that you don't judge and say, oh, well, that's not interesting or that's not good enough or that's not worth writing down. Never do that because that, that is what stops your ability to, to make an observation is the judgment. So it's, it has to be as free-flowing and as just honest and, and just, um, you know, it, as, you know, it just has to be as honest as you can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. Um, without the without actually judging it and saying it, whether it's worthy of of being written down or not, um, so that's the thing that I would say to start with first. And then once you have a you know a list of things, you know, take a week or two weeks later, look over it and see if anything kind of sparks your interest. And it definitely it, it happens to me all the time where I'll look at something I wrote a year ago or six months ago and just because of the time that's passed, I'll see it in a different perspective and I'll be able to write something about it that I never ever would have thought would have come from that thought. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really just about starting to make those observations and not, not judging yourself. So, so the other point that you made uh, a little while earlier was about uh, uh, these kind of thoughts and these kind of uh, 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 things happening when you are bored. And it so happens that I recently read um, uh, an article which spoke about the importance of boredom when it comes to creativity. Uh, mm-hmm. The article spoke about the fact that you are at your most creative best uh, once you reach a certain level of boredom because your mind doesn't want to get bored and but at the same time starts making connections between random things and that's when creativity sparks. And so, so that's one research that speaks about the connection between boredom and creativity. Here you are talking about uh, being able to make those connections and uh, observations turning into insights while you are being bored. And on the other hand, you find that, you know, um, uh, if you look at the real world, people do not want to get bored anymore. So uh, at the moment they have a half a minute to uh, spare, uh, they immediately reach out to their mobile phone or to their, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to their Kindle and uh, get busy. Uh, mm-hmm. absolutely no time to get bored so, mm-hmm. so i mean that creates a situation where uh, the lack of creativity among us uh, uh, will probably yeah. continue to increase and uh, creates yeah. a bigger problem so mm-hmm. so what's your observation or thought on that 
Um, yeah, I agree 100% because I, I know that I, you know, I, don't, I don't like to be bored either and it's so easy to not be bored. All I have to do is just go to the next website or look at my phone or do, I get, there's so many things to be distracted with that it's so easy to avoid being bored. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it so seems like... So what do you strange. do in a situation like that? It's, well, it's strange advice, but I do chores. Mm-hmm. I hate chores very much. And so, um, you know, if it's like making, I, I, I just know that my mind will go somewhere interesting if when I'm making the bed or if I just take a walk around the block or if I, um, you know, fix the cushions on the couch or do something that just has nothing to do with technology or, or anything that really is interesting. Um, so it, things like that, you know, going grocery shopping or, um, one thing that I, I actually really hate doing, but it sparks so many ideas for me is networking. <laughs> I absolutely hate having, you know, small talk with people that I barely know, but yet if I force myself to do it, um, the funniest things happen and I make the funniest observations about people because people are so interesting when you are just talking to them and getting to know them and you don't really know them that well. Um, and so I had a walking meeting yesterday with someone that I, you know, someone else introduced us and, um, yeah, I I mean, just, just walking around the city trying to get to know somebody was a a great way to sort of uh, spark some ideas. Um, so, uh, seems like strange advice, but people need to kind of force themselves into those situations where even just for a little bit, you know, even just for 15 minutes or half an hour where they're not engaged, fully engaged with something when they're sort of just idle. Um, and, and, and those are all always great situations to, to make those insights. Interesting. So, uh, the, the next point that I also wanted to, uh, uh, check with you in terms of, uh, writing comedy, uh, is, uh, is that it's not easy. Uh, it, it requires a lot of back and forth, uh, and performing on stage startup. I mean, stand up comedy. I tried it once and I failed so miserably that I got off the stage. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so that's the most that I have been on in uh, in on stage trying to do comedy. I've I've acted though. So uh, when was that? When did you try stand up? So stand up was like ten years back. Uh, oh, okay. And one joke, uh, people didn't <laughs> like it, and I kind of like okay, so probably I'm not funny. Uh, my jokes are not funny. So let's get down and get away. I did <laughs> act a little bit after that, but yeah. <laughs> So that's the reason why I have a lot of respect for uh, stand-up comedians. I mean, uh, it takes not only uh, hard work in terms of coming up with those jokes, but all the rejection that comes across and you still uh, go on stage and continue to flow around. So, and I find a lot of parallels between what entrepreneurship is and what uh, stand-up comedy is because uh, entrepreneurship is also exactly the same thing i mean you try something you fail so many times you continue to try you change something uh, you change uh, in, in stand-up comedy maybe you change a word you change the timing you change the tone in which you deliver something same way in a business you try mm-hmm. changing the uh, marketing a little bit you try hiring a new sales guy you try having a new kind of customer to go after new product uh, features of the product you continuously tinker with the idea until it succeeds and mm-hmm. until then, it's rejection all around, but you need to have the guts to take those rejection and still move forward and learn from those. And that's the parallel that I find really compelling for me. Mm-hmm. So, so what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing um, that uh, that is important to that parallel is that when you're working on a joke, you have to not treat anything as sacred and not treat anything as something that you can't just throw away if it's not working. Um, I find that people, both in business and comedy, they get very attached to certain ideas, even if they're not working, um, and, and you can't do that. Um, the other thing is you can't take it personally if something doesn't work. It doesn't mean that you know you're wrong or you're bad or you're a failure. It just means that I that idea didn't work or that idea needs um, more work than you you thought it needed. Um, I think that you know getting on stage is it is really really nerve wracking, um, but you can't take yourself too seriously, and you have to remember that everyone else in that room, especially if you're going to you know an open mic where there are other comedians that have to get up there for five minutes and try to make people laugh and fail. They're all just as scared as you. They're all the only, you might be sitting there thinking, Oh, they all think I'm terrible, but they're just sitting there thinking, Oh no, I'm terrible. You know, what does that person think of me? Everybody's just worried about what other people think of them. They're not worried about you. Um, and so in business, a lot of times you put things out there, you put a product out there, you put a website out there, you put some idea out into the world and you're like, oh my gosh, everybody is just judging me and thinking that I'm terrible. No, no, nobody's, no, everybody's more concerned with what they're doing than, than what you're doing. It's, it's, it's your job to make people concerned with what you're doing and, and see it as a, as a success if everyone is talking about how much they hate <laughs> what you're doing because that means that you actually struck a chord and there's maybe there's something there you know um, if it, it, the the thing that you want to avoid is is just the the response that's just a non-response where people don't love it they don't hate it they don't feel anything about it you want people to feel something you know and and so just not being too attached to any idea and being able to experiment and, and throw things out and, and bring in new ideas and then and and not being scared if if people just absolutely hate something because that means you tapped into something you know so uh so yeah i mean it's it's really just about um being able to go go with the flow um and i think that 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 observation that the connection between business and comedy is 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 very um i think it's a it's a great connection yeah. so the one of the best quotes that i have heard my mentor says uh, the worst reaction uh, is no reaction Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, tell me something. Let's shift gears a little bit. So, what is the most difficult thing that you've ever done? And uh, uh, and uh, what did you learn from it? Oh, wow. <laughs> the most difficult thing that I've ever done. Um, I think leaving Google was a very difficult decision um, just because it is uh, such a great place to work and I met a lot of great people there. Um, I met my husband there. Um, you know, I've met some of the best people that I've ever met. I've met at Google um, and it was just uh, it was just an absolutely wonderful place to work um, and it's hard to tell people that as great as that is, there's something that you want to do more than that. Um, and it's such a good opportunity that it's hard to say, okay, well, that's a great opportunity, but I'm going to go do something else. And you feel like maybe you're making the wrong decision. And it took me six, eight months before I was like, okay, I made the right decision. I, you know, I had, you know, terrible nightmares about, you know, did I do the right thing by leaving Google? So I think that was a, that was a really, that was a really tough decision um, that took me a long time to, 
to figure out if it was the right decision or not. Mm. And uh, uh, what uh, uh, what is the best advice that you've ever uh, got from someone? Uh, and uh, did you seek out the advice? Uh, what position uh, the advice was given? And uh, uh, and who gave the advice? Um, the best advice I've ever gotten most recently is um, if you're afraid to fail, then you're going to fail. Um, and that was in response to my, my email newsletter. Um, so when I started the Cooper Review, uh, I read all the, the, these you know, papers or these articles about how you got to build your newsletter list, you got to build your email list. And so I built my email list, but I didn't do anything with it because I was just too scared to send out an email to all of these people because I didn't know if I was going to say the right thing. I was going to make a, you know, a mistake, a spelling error, you know, something was going to be wrong. And I just was so scared of that. Um, and so for, for months, I, um, I didn't really send out anything. And uh, a mentor of mine who actually found me through my website and um, asked me to, to do some writing for his company um, and eventually became sort of a mentor to me, um, asked me about it. He said, why aren't you sending out emails? And I said, I'm just too scared to, to do something wrong, to make a mistake. And he said, if you're afraid to fail, you're going to fail. Um, and I think, you know, an alternate, if you're afraid to fail, you've already failed, you know, because it means that you didn't try. It means you didn't put yourself out there. It means that you've already failed. It's already over, you know? And so that's something that I repeat to myself a lot when I get scared to do something. Um, and I, I try to like, not let that fear get in the way of me even, you know, putting myself out there. Um, and it, it's really helped because, once you, re- once you realize that it's a foregone c- conclusion that if you don't do anything, then that means it's a failure already. <laughs> so by default, you're failing. Like right now, if you're not doing anything, you're, you are already failing. Um, that means that actually doing something will give you a chance of success. Um, and so that kind of mind shift for me helped me actually start to put myself out there more, send out more emails and try to like build my audience more. And, and uh, what's the worst advice that you've ever received? Um, the worst advice. The thing that the moment you heard, you realized that, okay, uh, 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 not, 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 not working. And, uh, I don't want to come back to this guy for any more advice. <laughs> huh. Um, hmm. I, I think this is going to go back a long time. Um, but in high school, I was, uh, I was a little overweight. I wasn't like obese, but I, I was kind of chubby and, um, I really wanted to be an actress. That was like my, my biggest dream. And my drama teacher or some other teacher told me that I could never be an actress because I, I wasn't slim enough. And I believe that 100% at the time, um, and now, many, many years later, looking back, I realized that was the worst thing that anybody could have said to me at the time. And it was so untrue because when you, when you look at television or you look at the web or you look at any of these places, there's so many different types of people. Um, and it, it, it's only getting better. We're seeing older actors. We're seeing younger actors. We're seeing you know, many different kinds of, of people um, representing 
um, all of these different types of individuals. And so I think that was probably the worst advice <laughs> that I ever received um, and probably one of the meanest things that probably anyone's ever said. Mm. So uh, uh, I, I was actually, uh, as part of research of doing this uh, uh, conversation, I, I tried to read uh, as many posts as uh, possible that you have posted. And one other post that struck a chord for me uh, was your post around uh, uh, the future of work in five charts. So hmm. can you give us a story behind how that came about? How long did it take you to compile this list of five charts? And uh, uh, yeah, so if there is any, any story around it. The middle management piece that you have there is like amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, this is a little bit of uh, uh, clever uh, curation here because these are actually all Instagram posts that I've done over the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of compiled them into a list. And I noticed this whole trend now about talking, what is the future of work or what is the future of this or future of that? And so I decided to sort of make fun of that and just compile this list um, into the future of work, which is really just um, lots of meetings and no one's getting anything done. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, each of, each of these things, each, each one of these charts probably took me um, a few days to do, but I, I did them over the course of the past year. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, so you, did, uh, uh, you have a book coming out, right? So what's mm -hmm. the book about? So the book is 100 Tricks to a Peer Smart Meetings, and it's uh, basically an extension of the original article, 10 Tricks to Appear Smart Meetings. Um, and I, I didn't think it was possible for me to write an entire book about meetings, but then I did it. So um, that, was, that was good. Um, so it's really just uh, all of the things that people do in meetings to look like they know what they're doing when really they, they have no idea. Um, told in the form of, hey, this is the, this is, these are things that you can try to do if, you're, if you haven't been paying attention, which we know, all know a lot of people don't pay attention at meetings. Um, and then I added some other things in there like uh, you know, emotional intelligence. So what are the things that you should be doing with your face to make people think that you're paying attention or what should you do with your hands at a networking event? Um, and then also other things like how to appear smart in meetings around the world and taking different cities and, and what people do in different cities and stuff like that. So um, it's really just a, a huge expansion of everything that I've ever really observed about meetings um, put into one book. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, what happens to people like me who inadvertently do some of the things that you've mentioned in the book uh, and still are uh, made fun of, well, uh, if someone has already <laughs> read the book? <laughs> Um, you just laugh and say, you know, that's why that's a good book because it really, it's, it's, it's truthful. It's honest. I mean, the whole, can we take a step back here? I mean, how many times a day, you know, do people say that? Because it's just a good phrase. I mean, it's just, it just makes sense. So don't feel bad if, if you actually end up doing that. That just means that I did a good job of observing. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was the most difficult thing for you to do uh, while writing this book? Um, I think it, the toughest thing was uh, the shift between the internet and actually creating something that was a physical paper object and just the finality and the commitment of it. Because, you know, on the internet, some people probably don't notice this, but if something's not right, I'll just go and change it. I'll just update that blog post. I'll just make it better. 
um, with a book, you know, it's, that's it, you know, it's going to, it's going to go to print and it will be, you know, out there. And, and there are a lot of things that I just won't be able to change about it. And so that's the hardest shift bit that's been for me is just having to commit to something and being okay with it being good enough and letting it go. And, um, it's a, it's a good thing for me to learn because I don't learn that often. Sometimes I will write a blog post and I'll just keep working on it for weeks and weeks, much longer than I should actually work on it. And then I go back to failing because I didn't actually put it out there. Um, and so trying to force myself to just say, okay, it's reached a point where it's good enough, you know, fail fast, go ahead, put it, put it out there. Um, so I think that's, that's been the, the best lesson from writing the book. Okay. So, um, you are an entrepreneur as well, whether 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 you like it or not, because you are <laughs> you are making your uh, living by shipping product, which in your case maybe books or maybe stand up uh, sessions or maybe blog posts. So, uh, as an entrepreneur, what has been the blackest moment or the or the most toughest moment that you have had so far, and what keeps you going? Um, I think I reach. Um, uh, a dark moment whenever I feel like I don't have any new ideas or I, I feel like I have just, I, I feel like maybe I just don't have anything else to say or I just run out of things to say. Um, and I always get very depressed because I feel my happiest when I've, I've put something out there and people are responding to it and it's creating conversation and, you know, I'm getting emails about it. Like that's when I feel the most excited and engaged. And so when, there's no hope of that ever happening again. Um, that's when I feel the the most depressed. And, and what keeps I, you going? Um, what keeps me going is the memory of how that feels when I put something out there and it, it does well and people are talking about it. Um, so I can never not keep trying to do that. Um, and I'm just sort of addicted to that. Um, you know, I... Uh, I've put out a few things, but nothing has done as well as 10 Tricks to Appear Smart Meetings, which I did, you know, a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now. Um, and so, you know, that's a little scary to me that, like, it's, it's, it really is that hard to make something that's going to do that well and be that successful. Um, but I know it's possible, and so I will never stop trying to do that. Um, I also just really get a kick out of making fun of things, and I can't stop making fun of things. Um, so I, I guess I'm just sort of addicted to that excitement of like being able to take something and like make fun of it and get other people to like see the humor in something. Interesting. So, uh, so what do you keep, what do you do uh, to continually improve? Because one of the traits that both stand-up comedians and entrepreneurs also share uh, is this ability uh, to self-reinvent, uh, to continually up the game, right? Because uh, uh, in stand-up comedy as well, I mean, you cannot use the same material on and on and on. Or if you don't evolve with time, if you don't up your game with time, people are going to get bored of you. So there is the, the importance of continually learning and continually upping the game. So what do you do in order to be able to do that? Um, I think it has to do with reflecting your life at the time. Um your life is always changing. And uh, for me, I was in the corporate world when I wrote, you know, that original article. Right now, I'm not anymore. I'm, a, I'm like you said, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to start this, this business of creating, um, you know, funny content and, and being a, a comedic writer. Um, 
And so it, my life has changed and I need to do things that reflect and speak to me. Um, and so I think people think that you have to force a reinvention, but really we're always changing. Like our lives are always changing. New things are always happening in our lives. And it's when we ignore that and try to go back to the past, that's when it doesn't work. But when we actually roll with that and go with the flow and kind of like um, see, see how our lives are changing and then have that reflected in our work, that's how the reinvention happens. Um, and so for me, um, that's probably going to be a big shift for me and for my audience is that I don't want to write about the corporate world anymore because I'm not really in the corporate world. So it's probably in the next year or so I'm going to be start, I'm going to be writing about things that are more, you know, general sort of life type things. Um, and that's just going to be a reflection of my growth and my, ch- and the changes in my life. Um, and so I think reinventing yourself means just not ignoring the fact that you are changing and, and, and you have changed and, and, and reflecting how your life has changed. Hmm. Interesting. So I've never heard this take before. Uh, in all my conversations. So it has always been that uh, you need to change with times. Uh, what you're saying is that we, irrespective of what we do or what we don't, we are changing. All you need to be is to be cognizant of what change is happening and yeah. be aware of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think that there is some truth to that, that in business. I always, you always hear about um, entrepreneurs who try many different things, but then the thing that sort of works is something that solves uh, some kind of problem that they had or something that they had a friend who had that problem or, you know, it, it's something that speaks to them personally. Um, and so I think it's interesting to, to yeah, be, a, you know, observe, be observant of, of what you're going through and, and see how you can reflect that in your work. Interesting. So um, uh, probably uh, uh, the last question or the question before the last question is, uh, there are there are a lot of people who write about office humor. Uh, there are a lot of people. Uh, I mean, one of the most uh, famous one is uh, Scott Adams. Uh, he has his own style that uh, he has created with uh, the comic strip. And uh, you have developed your own unique style. So this style that you have developed, uh, how has that come about? Is there has it been very conscious choice of uh, 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 writing in a certain way, or has this evolved? Uh, naturally uh, or this is the way naturally you write um i think it's been a pretty natural um evolution that i didn't really consciously consider when i first started and now looking back i can kind of see well there's certain things that i do i tend to do you know one is i I'm just observing things and I'm being as truthful as I possibly can be. Um, another is I'm sort of making fun of how-to articles or articles that are supposed to help you, you know, the tricks of the trade and things like that, which I just don't believe in. A lot of times I just don't think that there is a, an easy way to fix things, but I love making fun of the fact that, you know, hey, here's an easy way to to just do this, you know, no big deal. Um, so I think it's just been a natural evolution of that. I mean, the other thing is just that um, – you know, there's so much office humor out there that's just so a lot of it's really negative and I'm just not a negative person. And so I've always tried to, even when I'm making fun of something, I don't want it to come across as 
really cynical or really negative. I want it to come across as just like, oh, that's, you know, that's funny because just that's just the way it is. And I don't want people to feel like depressed <laughs> when, when, they, when they read something or angry. I don't want to make people feel angry. But sometimes I end up doing, I do end up making people feel angry and I don't want to do that. Um, so I think it's just been practice, through, through practice, sort of my natural uh, way of writing has, has come about. I think that's that's a very very good point that you make. Now that you, I think about it, um, uh, of all the articles that I read, there was no uh, uh, cynicism, there was no uh, anger in what you are writing. There was no. I mean, of course, you are making fun of things, but not as in making fun of things. You're just pointing out things that happen, uh, and uh, yeah. people. So the fun happens in my mind, and not in uh, uh, not necessarily in what you write or mm-hmm. how you write. And a lot mm-hmm. of comedy today is based on anger and cynicism and, uh, you know, uh, making uh, fun of people uh, yeah. in a very bad or a negative manner, which mm-hmm. is completely absent in your writing, which is so refreshing. I think that's probably one of the reasons why your uh, uh, posts stand out uh, or stood out for me as well, I think. Thank well, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, super. So I think we are kind of closing, uh, nearing the closer of time that we have today. Um, so before we kind of close, there are two questions that I would that I ask with all our guests uh, that uh, uh, are on the show. One is, uh, what is it that you're reading right now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just finished reading "Disrupted" by Dan Lyons, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, his his take as a, a 52 year old. Um, uh, joining a startup where everybody is 20, 24, 25, year, 25 years old and just the culture shock of, of what it's like to work in the startup world when you don't quite fit in. Um, and he's, he's an extremely funny writer. I don't know if you remember uh, fake Steve Jobs. Uh, um, no. But he he was kind of a satirical version of Steve Jobs uh, for a long time. And um, he's just incredibly biting, uh, sharp, uh, sometimes very, very cynical, uh, angry, but uh, still very, very funny writer. So I just finished uh, reading that book, and I, I think it was it was very good. Okay, so uh, so the last question that I have is uh, the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious. So what is the thing that you find that is so obvious to you, <laughs> and still people miss all the time, and that makes you go ah. <laughs> um. Well, I both love it and I hate it when people don't realize that I'm making a joke. Um, so I get people all the time. Uh, most recently, the the um, the article that I wrote about hiring and how Google and Facebook and Amazon hire. Um, it was one hundred. It was you know there was a lot of there was some truth in it, obviously, but it was it was a joke. It wasn't like yes, the, these are the things you should do. It was no, these are the things that happen. But unfortunately, no. But we should actually be doing them. And so many people were just like very, very angry about it. Um, even my 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings, every day I'll still get somebody saying, you know what, why are you trying to look smart? Why don't you just be smart? You know, things like that. And I'm like, that's the joke. You know, like, why don't you understand? I'm, it's, it's not, you know. So, but at the same time, you just have to laugh at that as well. So I, 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 I love that as well. And I think, I think, Sometimes the best humor and the best satire does get certain people upset and they don't realize it's a joke. And so uh, it, that's, that's totally fine as well. 
yeah so uh, uh, i remember reading that article that you're talking about uh, uh, that you written for google amazon facebook secrets to hiring yeah. and uh, i know of a few uh, recruiters uh, personally who use uh, a couple of this deliberately <laughs> to test hiring really? yes deliberately really? they use some of these to put people under pressure they are hiring sales guys and uh, they use uh, so so number one they will del- deliberately tell the person on the face that i am sorry nice to talk to you but unfortunately it looks like um, uh, you're not a fit <laughs> and they wait to see uh, how they react because in sales situation there are so many times that customers on your face tell them yeah. that no That's we're true. not interested and mm-hmm. how they react to it and then they'll set up meetings and then cancel set up meeting again cancel wow. set up meeting again cancel uh, to see how the other person reacts uh, because again that's a common behavior that customers have uh, in uh, uh, giving meetings and canceling at their whim so so when i was reading that uh, these two guys uh, came to my mind and uh, i have already shared this list with them and i'm sure that they're going to pick up two or three more from your list of 10 <laughs> and add it oh, to their no. repertoire <laughs> Oh no. I had no I had I had no idea that now I've learned something because I had no idea that people actually did these things. This was I for me it was just a complete joke, but I've had people write in and say, "Oh, we're going to try this." And I'm like, "No. No." <laughs> no, people do this. People uh, I mean that I so, very seriously. So anyways, so thanks a lot Sarah for taking time and talking to us today. I think it was a, a fun conversation. I also think as i said earlier there is a lot of parallels to uh, stand up comedy and uh, uh, entrepreneurship uh, both are hard work both require uh, us to face a lot of rejections and still keep at it uh, i wish your book all the success uh, in the world the book is called 100 ways to look smart in meetings uh, and the book is going to be out when uh, sara october 4th october 4th please go ahead and uh, buy the book uh, i am i will pre book the book uh, as well Uh, and uh, please tell people where they can reach you okay um you can uh, reach me uh, at the cooperreview.com um and if you go to that website you'll see all of my social media um networks there as well super so thanks a lot and have a great day thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of pushing beyond the obvious if you like the show and would like to support please head over to itunes or wherever you are listening to this show and rate us and write a review till next time have fun